Yes, yes, absolutely. I know you know what's going to happen, and I know you don't want to, but if you served, would you please stand this morning so that we can, can honor you, please? I am very unqualified to speak on this subject, but I can say that, that we are continually, I am continually humbled to my core by the way that you've chosen to serve us, our nation, even though you know it's full of a bunch of people that probably don't deserve it. Um, in the same way, you know, that our Savior has sacrificed himself for us, even though we don't deserve it. So thank you. Thank you for your service this morning. Uh, my name is Brent. I'm one of the pastors here at MRCC. If you don't know me, I've got just a couple announcements for us. And the first one, oh boy, it is a Christmas miracle. I feel like we're in a Hallmark movie right now because I know just last week we were talking about how the Christmas lights, we weren't going to do them at all this year, but the, it's the climax of the Hallmark movie and then there's the big turnaround that makes you feel good at the end. Turns out construction's being delayed a little bit, so we are going to do Christmas lights this year. I am stoked. Um, the beacon of Gondor will be lit again. Thank you, all those who laughed and understood that reference. But we're going to put Christmas lights up this year, which does mean a little bit of a, it's a little last minute, but this coming Saturday, the 19th, is when we're going to be putting all those lights up. If you've joined us before for that, you know, it's just an awesome time. We gather together, a whole bunch of us just get on the campus, we have donuts, we have coffee, and we just disperse and make the lights happen. It's like Christmas magic. Um, so if you've never been a part of that before, we'd love to invite you to join us on Saturday the 19th for that. It's just a great time that we get to spend together. There'll be some of us inside doing some of the interior decorations and then a bunch of us outside going and hanging lights up. So I'm really excited. We get to do that this year. It's going to be amazing. Uh, would you join us on Saturday the 19th for that? It's going to be an awesome time. Uh, we also have our Sisters of Strength ladies dinner uh, monthly that we do, and that is going to be tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m. Ladies, just a fantastic time to hang out. It almost seems like something magical happens when we take the time to sit down together and enjoy a meal. I have a feeling we're going to hear a little bit more about that during the sermon this morning. But it's just a special time. Ladies, you're invited tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m. And then last but not least... Uh, we are nearing the end of our Operation Christmas Child uh, time, our cycle here. So today is sort of the last official day to turn in those boxes. If you haven't turned in your box yet, if you forgot it at home, anything like that, make sure you snag that as quickly as you can and bring it back. You can probably bring it by the office uh, tomorrow and bring that in. We just need to get those in as soon as possible. Uh, we're always blown away by the response from this. So it's just going to be another awesome year that we get to do this and serve um, those kids. So going to be fantastic. And without further ado this morning, Pastor Weston, I'm going to invite him up on the platform to share the word. Hey, hey, church family. <laughs> oh, man, I love you guys. I don't get to do this too often, but it is any time that I get to, it is just a joy to be able to be with you. And can I just gush on this worship team for a second? Aren't they just so cool? Man, big props to Andy and Julie for kind of um, just such a joy to be able to, I don't know what it is about 
this region, but there's just like an insane amount of talented and gifted musicians and worshipers. And so it just completely blows my mind. But I never want to take uh, what I get to do for granted. And, you know, it's just an honor to be able to be here and to share a message with you today. And man, can you believe it? I've had the privilege of being a worship pastor for the last five years. Isn't that crazy? Man, it's just a true joy to be able to worship with you and worship our amazing God together with this incredible church family. And you truly are family, church. Do you know that? You are our family, and we bucks love and appreciate you. And it's just, it's a tremendous honor to be able to be here and share a message with you, our church family. Now, I may not be Greg Dalton, but I am grateful for the love and appreciation that you've shown my family And I look forward to digging into God's living word together. And so if you would, would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke? And we are going to be in chapter 14 today. Chapter 14 of Luke. And while we're turning, I have this quick question for us. Now I'm going to ask those here to be brave if this is you. But by a show of hands, may I ask, who here already has their Christmas decorations up at home? We see, like, we see some hands over there. There's some over there. There's a few sprinkled around over here. Bless you. Bless you. Man, let me tell you, and maybe you're still this way, but remember when people would get so upset if they saw any Christmas decorations up or heard any Christmas music up before Thanksgiving. Maybe that is still you today, Tyler, if you're listening. But let me tell you, that's becoming more the norm, Right? Aren't we seeing it more and more? But guess what? We have entered a whole new paradigm shift. Is it just me, or did anybody else notice Christmas decorations going up, either in our communities or in our stores? I'm not talking about selling Christmas decorations. I mean, actual Christmas decorations up going up before Halloween this year. Anybody else see that? You know, Stacey and I, we were trick-or-treating with Brielle on Halloween night. And, we, and one of the houses was just completely lit up with Christmas lights already. Like, they were just so ahead of the game. I guess it's like a twofer. You decorate for, I don't know, I don't know. Their house was, was being Christmassy for Halloween, whatever. But, you know, uh, nobody is a worse culprit of this than, of course, Disneyland. And, yes, I always have to talk about Disneyland. But check out these images. These were taken one week prior to Halloween. The first photo is from their central hub. You see a ring of jack-o'-lanterns, but in the background, it's kind of hard to see. But that is a fully decked out snowy icicle castle in the back. Here's a closer photo of the castle at night. So at night, they got this eerie music, and they're playing all this spooky music, but it's still got all these ice crystals and snow on there. And then here's a, uh, a guest with a Halloween balloon that was purchased in an area that was already completely surrounded by uh, Christmas garland. I mean, it's just, it's just got to be confusing that the week before Halloween, if you're at Disneyland. Is it, but yeah, Christmas, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And y'all know this. What poor holiday is getting slept on? What is it? Thanksgiving, which is a shame because Thanksgiving is absolutely amazing. And it might even be the best holiday. And I'm going to tell you why. Here's just a list of some of the reasons why Thanksgiving is awesome. And the first, we all know this, the food is amazing. We're talking turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, cranberry sauce, yams, rolls, green bean casserole, stuffing. 
and my personal favorite, pumpkin pie. I mean, if your tummy is not rumbling right now, then you're just not human. I'm sorry. There's something for everybody, and plus the leftovers will keep you full for days. The second cool thing about Thanksgiving is the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade. I mean, it is just a must-see. It is TV cringe at its best. And you know, it's, it's, a, it's our own personal family tradition to watch when the floats go by and watch, pick out all of the lip-syncing flubs that happen. Because they're always lip-syncing. They'll be like waving at the people, and the singing starts, and the, oh, yes, here I am. It's so fun. We always, always record a little bit of it, and I make a compilation on Facebook every year. Um, a third neat thing about Thanksgiving, the National Dog Show. For Oh, we have someone. I was going to say, it's for, it's for those people who are into that sort of thing. Um, obviously, the afternoon football games coupled with the afternoon nap. I mean, it is a match made in heaven. And you know what, Fifth, it, it truly does feel like the perfect kickoff to Christmas. Like it's the perfect start of the Christmas holiday season. Even Santa's at the end of the parade, right? I mean, it's the perfect kickoff for Christmas. But that brings us to the sixth and maybe best point. You don't have to get anyone any gifts. Isn't that awesome? So good on our wallets. But we do, however, of course, remember what we're thankful for. But obviously, probably the most important part of Thanksgiving is that we get to be with our closest friends and family. In fact, cooking and sharing a meal together is honestly one of the most therapeutic and connecting experiences we can have. There's even science behind this. A study posted by Psychology Today showed that gathering to feast with friends and family, it fosters an increased sense of community and support. And maybe not without attention or two, but research shows that even after a single food-sharing event, the levels of circulating oxytocin are higher and social bonding and cooperation is increased, all from a shared meal. And you know, Stacy and I, we've been blessed to share a meal with a handful of you, either at a home or at one of the awesome restaurants around Enumclaw. And I always walk away from those gatherings with an increased connection and appreciation for those present. And, you know, it was actually during a meal nearly 10 years ago that us, a lowly couple, we met with our pastors in Reno, Nevada to discuss a calling that they saw in us. It was a calling from God into ministry that would kickstart a journey that would eventually lead us to this very church. You know, life happens over a meal and maybe that's why they call it soul food. But uh, we often read about tables, feasts, and banquets in the Bible. And one of the most famous, you know, is found in Matthew, and it's the Lord's Supper, where Jesus broke bread with his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And then this is what the sacrament of communion is based on. And in Psalm 23, David speaks of how the Lord provides everything he needs. He provide, provided a table for him, a feast. It says, you prepare, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. 
You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. You see, he's saying that whatever life may bring, I know that the Lord walks with me and that the enemy may only look on as we enjoy rich communion with the Lord in his sanctuary like honored guests at a banquet hosted by the Lord himself. See, when we gather for a meal at the table, it presents a powerful image of true belonging. You know, you can be distant friends with someone for years, but when you sit at his or her table and when you eat their food, man, it'll bond you like other types of time together just can't. And it's actually in this setting that we find ourselves in Luke chapter 14. And the events in this chapter, they take place in the home of a prominent Pharisee. And the Pharisees expected their Messiah to arrive and announce his presence with some pomp and circumstance. And they had a difficult time accepting that a lowly carpenter's son from Nazareth could possibly be the chosen one. And here we see that Jesus had been invited by this wealthy Pharisee to share a meal on the Sabbath and along with other invited guests. And if you know the Pharisees, then of course you know that there were ulterior motives involved for they were famous for trying to trick Jesus into saying or doing something that would dismiss the majority's belief that he was the Messiah. So as we dive into God's word, would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you that we get to have communion with you in this moment through our worship, through your word. We just ask, Father, that you would prepare our hearts to listen, to be open, to receive what you have for us today. Would you speak to us, O Lord, through your living word, we pray. Amen. And so we'll start in verse 3 today, but prior to that, we read that Jesus went to eat dinner at the home of a leader of the Pharisees on the Sabbath day, and that they were watching him closely. And even as I read this, I wondered, why... Would he want to hang out with people who disrupted and disputed and disagreed with him constantly? I mean, I can imagine that isn't the most comforting environment for a dinner, right? But Jesus, being a godly example, he still associated with them. Not to be one of them, but to love them in a way that only he can. Even knowing that they would watch him closely, trying to catch him and slip him up. And right off the bat, as the guests were arriving, Jesus noticed that one of the invited guests had something that's called dropsy, which is kind of like an unusual swelling of the body. And some believe that this person was actually invited simply to provoke Jesus into doing something that they could accuse him of. And in knowing this is where we pick up in verse 3. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. You see, the issue was not about healing directly, but about healing on the Sabbath. You see, his accusers believed that when he healed the man, that he worked on the Sabbath and violated God's command to keep it holy. But with this question, Jesus reminded them that there was no command against healing on the Sabbath. And it's good to remember, church, 
that Jesus never broke the commandments of God. But what he did do was break human traditions that surrounded the commandments of God. You see, he was a rebel in the best kind of way. And, you know, he reminds us that the commandments of God are enough and that we should never make the traditions of man, even if they're good traditions, be equal to God's commandments. You know, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus himself says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the command of God in order to observe your own traditions. You know, it's so important that he said it twice. And how much have we let our human traditions overshadow the reverence and the holiness and the truth of God in our lives, in our holidays, or maybe even in our church services? Man, we are only two sentences into this dinner conversation, and look what Jesus is already dishing out. So note that the Pharisees kept quiet, and they refused to answer Jesus' question. And I love that Jesus just took the man, healed him, and let him go. There was no ceremony, no hocus pocus. He simply did it, and the man was completely healed. Man, that's the way Jesus does it. Can you imagine witnessing this remarkable miracle in front of you and then just moving on with the dinner party like everything's normal. That's just, that's just crazy. Anyway, uh, Jesus goes on to ask, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? And again, they couldn't answer. You see, his reasoning was clear. If it was allowed to help animals on the Sabbath, how much more was it right to heal people who are made in God's image? And the Pharisees, they couldn't argue with this statement, so they remained silent and awkward. And if you're afraid of awkward silences like I am, then this might be an uncomfortable dinner party for you. And so the guests are all present, well, except for the healed man who I imagine is skipping down the road with jubilant joy. And now the time has come to sit down for dinner. And have you ever attended a dinner at a wedding or at a banquet? You know, sometimes there's like assigned seating, which can be interesting and fun. Uh, but other times it's like it's every man for themselves. How do you pick where to sit? Do you wait until you see where your friends are sitting so that you can join them? Do you choose a spot early that's close to the food like I do for Band of Brothers? It is the best strategy, let me tell you. Or what if uh, wherever you sit, Weird Uncle Larry is going to grab the chair next to you? We all have a Weird Uncle Larry. And you know, it's interesting how just picking a seat can be this big of a deal to us. And you know, we aren't the only ones either because Jesus noticed that the guests present at this dinner, they had a tendency to choose a seat that carried the most honor. And Jesus saw this, and then he shared this parable. He said, when you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, hey, give this person your seat, and then you'll be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. 
I mean, that would be like if I attended a friend's wedding, we'll say Brayden, who plays bass with us, he got married this summer, they had a beautiful outdoor uh, dinner, a beautiful venue, it was wonderful, but it would be like during dinner, I went up and I grabbed a plate of food, and I just walked over to the groom's chair, groom's table, sat down, began chowing down without any care in the world, waiting anxiously for someone to propose a toast in my honor. I mean, how embarrassing would it have been if Brayden had to come up to me where I was sitting and go, uh, you know, that's actually my seat. Uh, would you mind moving down? Thanks. <laughs> that's how he would totally say it. Uh, but the Bible, you know, it continuously reminds us to avoid what I call the, the self-promotion game, right? You know, before I pursued worship ministry, some of you may know this, but I would record and perform music across nightclubs and venues and cities in our area around Nevada. Self-promotion was literally my entire world. I mean, you can even just ask my wife. She bared with me through it all. She has many stories. Uh, but God was patient and graceful with me. And over time, as I searched my heart, and his call in my life, he reminded me that we should do our work unto the Lord and let him raise us up. You see, this verse in Psalm 75 puts it plainly. It says, no one from the east or the west or from the deserts of Nevada can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down and he exalts another. You know, when I started using my giftings for God, it satisfied my soul in a way that no concert performance or album recording ever could. He humbled my soul and position, and it was this position of humility that ended up being the healthiest thing for me and my family. And when I was uh, talking to a friend, Caleb McCracken, who serves in kids ministry about this, he said something that I was like, I got to write that down. But he said, Humility is greater than humiliation, right? And in fact, as we continue in Luke 14, Jesus expands on this. You know, to the dinner guests, he says, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. And then you will be honored in front of all the other guests for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And you see, Jesus isn't just teaching about good manners here, but he's teaching us to live a life of lowliness, of humility, to live an anti-famous life. In the book of Philippians, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And wouldn't it be more satisfying for me to choose a humble seat and then be asked to move up to a seat of greater honor, kind of like a, like a holy airline upgrade? It just, it sounds so much better than if I chose the honorable seat and then had to be asked to move down when someone of greater honor appears. And in ministry, 
I can attest that there's something wonderful about knowing that God has raised us up. Instead of you or me raising ourselves up to some higher status or prominence of some kind, it's our own broken human desire that grasps for certain position or grasps for certain status. And it's unfortunate, but we see it everywhere, even within our churches. And honestly, I've experienced it in my own life. Can we joyfully embrace the lower place? You know, if Dean Smith was here, he would say, joyfully embrace the lower place. Joyfully embrace the lower place. Because there's, there's a subtle form of spiritual pride that's very dangerous. And church, let's be on our guard that we aren't confusing our own ambition and goals of raising our own status with following where God is calling us because the two aren't always the same. And I'm encouraged to remember these words from a Scottish poet from the 1800s named George MacDonald. But he said, and whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And isn't Jesus the perfect one to teach this subject? Because he fulfilled it perfectly, right, church? He is the ultimate example of someone who deserved the highest place, but took the lowest place, and then was granted the highest place. Back at dinner, Jesus turned to the host who invited him and basically said, when you host a dinner or supper, don't invite your friends. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with inviting friends over for dinner, but Jesus was speaking to the motive of only inviting those close to you. He noticed that his host chose his guest with a sense of pride and lacking love and opportunities for others outside his circle. You know, we all got our people, right? And our people can make us feel comfortable. And let me tell you, I definitely love my comforts. But if I can be honest, and I'm gonna be brutally honest here, sometimes I find myself, including certain people, not for them necessarily, but because of how they make me feel. Does that make sense? You see, Jesus is telling us here, not to associate with people only on the basis of what they could do for us. And plainly, church, this is self-centered living. And when we are called to follow Jesus, he shows us to live an others-centered life. And he says that regularly inviting our close friends might result in being invited back, but that that will be our only reward. And there's just something wonderful in giving a gift that can never be repaid. And this is part of the blessing that Jesus spoke of when he said in Acts, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you might even say that in doing so, we get just a taste of God's motivation for giving us the gift of salvation where Jesus paid the highest price that we would never be able to repay. 
And in reference to the guest list at the dinner, consisting of those close to the host, Jesus said, instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. And church, you see, this kind of living will cost us something. And yet, we will be repaid. And here again, Jesus shows how important it is to live with an eternal perspective. And he shows that we will never be the loser when we give in a way that allows the generosity of God to shine through us. And now we're at the point at this dinner where I got to imagine there was just some awkward silence. I mean, Jesus just spoke strongly to those present, warning them against traditions, against exclusion and pride. And then one of the men, perhaps to break the tension, said aloud, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. A banquet in the kingdom of God. You know, just imagine the most incredible meal you've eaten at a restaurant or other. You know, Stacy and I, we had the privilege last month of celebrating our 10-year anniversary, and we went to Hawaii, y'all, and it was awesome. And, uh, but there was this beachside restaurant that we desperately wanted to eat at, and it was called Ama Ama, but ever since COVID, it had been closed, and up until the day of our trip that we left for Hawaii, it was still closed. But as we were checking into the hotel, we happened to ask if the restaurant was going to open anytime soon. And let me tell you, God is good because they said they were going to have a soft opening on the last few days of our trip. And so we snagged a reservation, and by some miracle, the only time available was during sunset. And look at this view, y'all. Oh, man, look at this food, you guys. Probably one of the best meals we've had in our entire lives. And we just thought, it just can't get better than this. Now, my wallet might think differently. <laughs> but at the time, we were like, it just can't get better than this. And the truth is, church, it can and it will. What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. This is what was said by a man at the dinner with Jesus. And then this is where Jesus shared the parable of the great feast or the great banquet. And this parable is interesting because it brings up two important themes, invitation and excuse, both of which are brought together by the centerpiece of a table with a shared meal together. And of course, it doesn't take a genius to know that this parable is about more than just a banquet. You know, parables, you know this, are similar to fables and the fact that they tell stories that illustrate a greater point. But this story, much more than a meal, is really about the kingdom of God. And the table that these people are being invited to is not only a wonderful, luxurious meal, but the very kingdom of God. And this story 
is about an invitation and the transformation that comes when we choose to take a seat at the table. And so as we read this parable, let's focus on four main principles that God is trying to communicate to us. If you'd like, you can write these down. And the first is that the table is invitational. If we read, it says, a man, who's sometimes called the master, prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. Now, much of Jesus' ministry was invitational. He is constantly seeking out people and inviting them to join him on the journey. And he starts this parable saying that people have been invited to a great banquet. And in the traditions of their day, it's important to remember that who you ate with mattered. Who you shared a meal with said a lot about who you were. And the master in the parable sent many invitations saying, come, the banquet is ready, as if the invitations were already sent ahead of time. And when the time came to attend, he reminded those invited that the banquet was ready. And by analogy, we can say that God has made it so all things are now ready for men and women to come and receive him. We come to God and find that he has been ready for us. And will we accept the invitation? Second, if you're writing this down, is what's our excuse? But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. And then another said, man, I just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. All right, please excuse me. And another said, man, I just got married. I'm busy, so I can't come. You know, they all have an excuse. Some might even been logical excuses. And their excuses are different, but really they're the same. They made them with one accord. And you know, for us, life gets in the way. Things get busy, times get tough, and God is often put on the back burner, which begs the question, what's our excuse? What's yours? What's mine? What is preventing you or me from putting God first? What is the thing that's keeping us away from the banquet? You know, hope doesn't begin until our excuses end. And sometimes we make them in desperation. In fact, the excuses begin to explain why such a wonderful invitation was rejected in the first place. You may have heard others outside the church ask, if Christianity is so true or if it's so good, why don't more people embrace it? Why don't more people accept the invitation? Because if we're honest, at some time or another, we will have an excuse. We all have a thing that gets in the way of our relationship with God, puts a barrier between us and the table, and it is only when we choose to drop our excuses and begin to embrace the invitation of God that we will choose to take a seat beside him. And church, the third 
point today is that God wants everyone at his table. God wants everyone at his table. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. And so his master said, go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. You see, the master invited the popular, and yet they chose not to attend. They all had an excuse. And you can imagine that the master looked around and saw all the hard work that was put into this meal. And parties and feasts were massive events, which cost a lot of money and had about every delicacy you can think of. And so rather than have it all go to waste, the master sends out his servant to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And you know, this motley crew, these are not your ordinary guests. These were the outcasts, the people on the fringes of society, the people who are often forgotten. And this is powerful because the master knows the value of the feast and chooses to associate and invite the outcasts. Jesus flips the cultural norm upside down The invitation is open to all, not just to the perfect, to the popular, or the powerful. Not just the Mother Teresa's, Billy Graham's, or even Greg Dalton's of the world, but to the broken and to the messy, the people who don't quite make sense in the context of the party, the people who are rough around the edges, the people who struggle to accept love and grace, God wants and invites everyone. And in this verse, we see that it is God's desire to fill his house. And this is key because when we start to understand this, then you begin to realize that no matter where you are or how broken you think you are, you are never too far away from God. Maybe you need to hear this today. No, that you are never too far away from God, never too far to be loved, to be embraced. You are always being invited to the table. And now before we share the final point and part of this passage, and in the spirit of mixing up our holidays, I kind of wanted to share a video clip from a movie called The Grinch. And now this is not the Jim Carrey version, which is hilarious, of course. But this is the newer animated version that came out a few years ago. Benedict Cumberbatch voices the Grinch. And honestly, it's not as funny as the Jim Carrey movie. But if you haven't seen this new one, I highly recommend you give it a watch because what it does do is it does a beautiful job at highlighting the grace and forgiveness that is found in this story. And so, spoiler alert, But as you watch this, let's picture ourselves as the broken, beaten Grinch who's at home, riddled with doubt and guilt after admitting to all of Whoville that we had stolen their Christmas. Until you you happen to hear a knock at the door to receive what might be the most wonderful invitation 
of your life. Go ahead and watch this. My name is Cindy Lou. Cindy Lou who? It's nice to meet you, Cindy Lou. Uh, oh, my name is Grinch. And uh, th this is Max. <laughs> Whoa, nice to meet you, Max. <laughs> I just came to invite you to our house for Christmas dinner. What? Me? But I took your gifts. Yeah, I know. And your trees. Yep. I stole your whole Christmas. I know you did. But we're inviting you anyway. But why? Because you've been alone long enough. to come. Welcome. So thank you for inviting me. Uh, I, I wore a tie. And it's a very nice tie. Cindy Lou, look who came. Mr. Grinch, you're here. Uh, hello. Come on in. I'll show you around. Oh, okay. Okay, come take your seats, everyone. Dinner's ready. Come on, you're sitting next to me. Mr. Grinch? Oh, uh, okay. Do you mind if I say something first? Not at all. Um, well, everybody, I, I just want to say I've spent my entire life hating Christmas and everything about it. But now I see that it wasn't Christmas I hated. It was being alone. not alone anymore and I have all of you to thank for it but especially this little girl right here ma'am your daughter's kindness changed my life that's my girl oh that was beautiful that's my best friend Merry Christmas Mr. Grinch Merry Christmas Cindy Lou and the Grinch raised his glass and led the Who's in a toast. To kindness and love, the things we need most.
He has a way of lifting up the lowly, giving a seat of honor, and offering the taste of salvation. And I take that over roast beast any day. And this brings us to our final point, and it's that the table is a daily decision. You know, earlier in Luke in chapter 9, it says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. We are all invited to the kingdom of God. And the question is, will we accept the invitation or will an excuse keep us from experiencing the fullness of who God is and what he has for us? And it's not just a one-time invitation, nor is it something that we accept only once in our life. It is an ongoing decision that we make every day. Each day, we must choose to drop the excuses that are barriers in our life and choose to sit at the table. The table is a daily decision that we must make over and over and over again. And what a beautiful reminder, because if you have let your excuses get in the way in the past, man, every day you have another opportunity to say yes to take a seat. What grace this is. The table we are being invited to is a place of transformation and redemption where we are called to embrace the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has saved a seat for you. He made room for you to sit at the table no matter where you are, no matter how religious you are. No matter how broken you think you are, you are already invited. God already saved you a seat. All that's left is for you to choose to sit down and enjoy the meal. And so here we are, church. We're two weeks away from Thanksgiving. And in the custom of that holiday, I just thought it would be, a, it would be fitting if we had ourselves a time of Thanksgiving this morning. A time to pour out our gratitude, and thank our God who saved us a seat at the table. Because the truth is, throughout all of our lives, he has been faithful. He has never ceased being good. And so would you stand with us, church? And can we let this be our prayer? Join us in praise as we thank him in his presence for his everlasting goodness.
Have a great week. Be blessed.